0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. All right, everyone, we're back uh, from the intro that we recorded separately, and I'm awkward as always. My guest today is Don Kitch Jr. and Donna Parada Kitsch, the owners of Performance Racing School, who, if you've been on the website, you saw we had an article about this, and now we've got them on to talk about the school Western Washington. So Donna, Don, welcome. Who wants to who wants to say something first?
1: Hi, everyone. I think we'll start with Don. <laughs> so I got to go first, but he's starting.
2: Yeah, it always ends up with me here. So um, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having us. Uh we love to talk about what we do. We certainly enjoyed your associate being with us for the day. It was uh great to see her start one way at eight in the morning and end up another person at five in the afternoon. So that well, was great fun.
0: So to be honest with you, I'm surprised she got there at eight. I mean, that was just the uh, you know, let's see, if I'm being honest.
2: So Don.
0: I read your bio and there's something about buggy wheels, which we could have fun with. But I want to know something. When was the first time officially that you raced?
2: Well, you know, I mean, on I, an
0: organized, an organized, a legitimate race.
2: That would be the soapbox derby days when I was nine years old. Did you win? No, I crashed. <laughs> <laughs> It was not pretty.
0: was not pretty. was were you using these buggy wheels that were referenced
2: that you bought? No, in those days you you had to get all of the elements from the Chevrolet dealers, um, <laughs> at least the wheels, the axles, the, the, those components. It was a okay. program that was sponsored by the Chevrolet dealers. and so I talked my dad into entering and we built the soapbox derby and and it it was pretty for a while, and then it wasn't pretty. But that was my first drive in competition, okay.
0: Let me let me try again. When was your first gasoline-powered official race?
2: That would have been in 1980. Okay, here in Seattle in 1980, an, am- an amateur event.
0: And how did that go?
2: Uh, it was actually a good. I mean, it certainly confirmed and validated the fact that I wanted to uh, that I wanted to race cars. Uh, I loved it. I uh, I loved it. What was the car you were driving? It was a Datsun 240Z production-based car, raced in deep production on slicks, on racing slicks. Okay, great little car, great highly developable. I loved it. I, uh, I, uh, it, I, it was an existing race car when I bought it, and okay. uh, worked on it all winter long to get it ready for its first uh, outing, which was, uh, I think, in the month of April, and I. I anxiously awaited my debut as a racing driver.
0: What was some of the takeaways from that very first time on the track? I mean, you you already said you loved it. And you confirmed everything, but what else? Because at that point,
2: well, I knew at that point that if I wanted to continue eating the money to feed me would not come from driving a racing car <laughs> that I knew. No. <laughs> You know there's a seasoning that goes on, you know learning to deal with traffic overtaking and being overtaken, and all of that so I, I went through the kind of the normal the normal progress of like say seasoning, okay as a driver. that's why you start out early on as as an amateur as a novice, so that you're kind of cutting your teeth of all people are all in the same situation,
0: okay. And how long then before you turned?
2: You know, pro. We raced here an uh, amateur in Seattle for about 10 years. Uh, okay. And then uh, we uh, we moved on to what was then and still is now, the International Motorsports Association, IMSA Racing. And okay. That was our first pro outing.
0: And where was that
2: at? Our very first professional race was in Portland, at Portland International. We we decided it would be good to race a, our first major event on, on a home track. Okay.
0: Donna, have you ever raced competitively?
1: I have not raced competitively, but I have always loved going fast, and I have always loved cars. Um, My dad liked going fast, and he liked cars, and he and I had that in common. So when I was a little girl, I just loved cars, and I saved money, and I bought don had mentioned he was racing a 240z i bought a 280z x with my dad uh that was my first car and i loved it and my dad and i um purchased that car together and before i could take it out i had to learn how to change the tire Uh, that was really important back then they didn't have roadside assistance so you had to learn a couple things, like checking the oil and uh, changing the tire, and checking the car for air, or the tires for air. And a lot of that came in handy when I started becoming pit crew for Don's race team. <laughs> when Don was the racer, I was part of the pit crew. So. Should have
2: been the other way around. She should have been the racer. I should have been but, the pit crew. But
1: but those skills actually came in handy because when he was racing, um, we've been together. Uh, Don and I have been together for, let's see, the business is 30 years old. Uh, We've been married 31 years. So it's been a long time. So those skills that I learned as a teenager with my dad, with car mechanics and preparation really did come in handy. And I loved being part of the crew. So I have not raced, but I do love going fast on the track. And um, I have that in common with. The people that come out to the race school because 50% of them, 70% of them will never go racing, but they will come back every month and they will drive fast on a safe professional, uh, you know, track. And so I have that in common with them. Okay.
0: So you started in 1980 and you opened the the school in 94. So Correct. 14, 14 years. Correct. Okay. What was the motivation to open a, a a school? I'll call it a racing school, but it's it's more than a driving school. Maybe that's a better a better more accurate term. What was the motivation to open? Was this about eating again? Yeah, <laughs> I was
2: pretty much uh, pretty much uh, came down to the point we got hungry and decided to get a real job. No, I think I think at some point I think we were smart enough smart enough to realize that you know there's a point where it's time to stop uh, the 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 driving and competition and and take the relationships you've built, the reputation that you've earned and the skills you've developed and and maybe get into academia. And that for us was the start of performance.
1: And Don Don is such a great teacher Um, when he is racing and was racing. I mean, he was just so personable and so um, friendly and able to take something a big concept in racing and break it down into little steps that after someone would talk with them, they'd want to go racing. And we realized there wasn't really an avenue for them in this area, you know, in the Northwest to actually be trained professionally. And he was just such a natural. I think um, my background was education that we just decided, you know, this is something that we can teach people.
0: What, was it like starting a school? I mean, opening any business is, you know, simple and it's easy and nothing goes wrong. (laughs) Now we add moving cars on a, on a track and people. And so what were some of the unexpected early things for you guys that you might not have planned on?
2: Well, it was really kind of a learn as you go. And and quite frankly, it still is, Um, you know, Uh, we're always, always exploring new and different ways to, you know, message, um, you know, the skills and techniques we want people to learn and employ. I Mm -hmm. think the scary part, like any small, small business is just making ends meet uh, and and how to, how to build it. Mm -hmm. But um, I think for, for me, um, we were swimming in new waters and wanted to make sure that we belonged in those waters and could stay in those waters. And we obviously, you know, obviously could, but what caught me out a bit was, uh, was, you know, the the demands that came with starting something new in, in the Puget Sound area and having people coming to you thinking you have all of the answers and, and, uh, and, and you don't hit, Cause it was kind of OJT there in the early years. Okay.
0: Donna, how about you starting it? You know what your role in it, you know, cause you both have different roles. So anything, you know, you said you came from the education uh, field, um, anything different that, that caught you off guard besides my questions?
1: Well, when we started the school, I was still teaching. So I okay. taught sixth grade, um, in Lake Washington school district here in Kirkland and so I was still teaching and at, with the new business, you need all kinds of things. And it was amazing how everything we needed, I had never done before, but I had to learn how to do it. You know, So at that time it was desktop publishing or it could have been, you know, um, like one thing we had to do was make a website. There was this thing called a website and what is that? And so I actually took a class and learned how to make a website. And because we had had some quote, some crazy quote for a website, and we couldn't afford that because we were a small business. So I'm amazed at how many different hats I had to wear being an accountant, being a technology person, being a customer service person, you know, while still working at my, you know, my actual job as a sixth grade teacher. But it was amazing how I really liked that challenge. I didn't know how to do it but I figured yep. out how to do it. So it was cause we had to figure out how to do it. We couldn't hire accountants or, you know, right. technology people cause we were too small at that time. We were sure. just, you know, just starting. So I had to, and it was a challenge and you know, there were times I pulled out my hair and I cried and there were other times it was really fun. I loved the technology. Um, when I was hired for Lake Washington school district, they were the technology school district. Um, mm-hmm. We were the first school district to get computers. So I love that anyway. So it was a real challenge, but, um, there were all the time, there were times where Don would say, well, we need this. That didn't exist. So I had to figure out how to do that. So those were big challenges.
0: And now 30 years later, there are no questions, no challenges, everything. You know, <laughs>
1: They're just all bigger.
0: There's yeah, everything, everything changes. So I have driven fast unprofessionally, not, not correctly.
2: I think can't statute
0: lie. I think the statute of limitations has expired. I can't get in trouble for admitting that. Um, I had a 1973 BMW 30 CSI that I enjoyed. Oh. Yeah. It great was car. it was a great car. I didn't know what I had when I bought it from a guy who was getting a divorce and wanted to take advantage of his ex wife. And All he, sold, for
2: you.
0: he sold it to me for 2500 bucks. Wow. And I put it into a tree. Um anyway here's my knee-jerk reaction to opening a race driving in the Puget Sound. It rains a lot. There's a a book out called The Art of Racing in the Rain, which we're going to get to. But from a business standpoint, is having a a driving school in a wet climate doesn't seem like I would have I don't know that I'd open one in, you know, in, in Minnesota either. So my question is, did that impact, does the, do the elements impact the business or do they actually add nuance to it? That's helpful.
1: Um, to be truthful, when we first opened, you know, we were more seasonal. Mm-hmm. Um, because we were small and also Don was still racing professionally. So, um, a lot of his races were on the East coast in January, February, March. So we Mm. were not active on the racetrack here when we started, but what we learned, or I think Don can speak to this with racing is racing on a wet racetrack takes your skill level exponential. You know, exponentially you grow. And I think that's what he was realizing in his racing. Then, when he would race on a wet track and then have a race on a dry track, how much better he was. And as we, as the business started to grow here in the Northwest, we needed more dates. And so that's when he incorporated let's run events, you know, in November, December, January, February but he could address, you know, how that transition came into play. But originally that was not part of our business model. Our business model was going to just be seasonal because that was the driving season back then. And that was 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now our driving season is 12 months a year.
2: Well, I think all of the skills that we're, we're trying to, you know, um, get people to buy into and develop. Um, they come to them a lot easier in the wet than the dry, right? Um, they? Re- oh yeah. Without a doubt, everything we're wanting them to experience. Cause most of, nine out of 10 of us are experiential learners, right? You don't learn in a classroom. We learn by experience. So we'll give them a quick overview in the classroom and then get them in the car and get them out there experiencing. Right. Okay. Uh, and the experiences we want them to have Related to, you know, control inputs to the car, being a good weight manager, limiting weight transfer, you know, oversteer skin conditions, understeer skin conditions, the car at it all, it, that all comes to them a lot quicker in the wet than the dry. So okay. teaching them into the wet, while there's obviously some risk, teaching them in the wet and then having them come back and employ those skills in the dry. So Mm -hmm. what we do, like we did this last week, we had a nasty, nasty day. And I said, you know what, let's, let's use this wet to learn. And they had a ball, the reviews we got throughout the day. And at the end of the day of how much they learned and how the the comfort zone they gained in dealing with those kinds of conditions. And they transferred to street survival.
0: Well, that's 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 the wet is a
2: good learning environment. Okay. What
0: from a from an what shuts the school down? Does does snow on the track? I mean, you're not race, you're not teaching people when there's snow and ice on the track, are you?
2: No, uh, okay. I mean, obviously, if we've got if we've got ice or snow, that's a no go, right? Okay. Right. Um, same thing with deep standing water. If we have heavy rains that I believe are going to end in an accumulation of deep standing water, we're going to go to Plan B, uh, whether that be some other form of of exercises out there or a cancellation, but no, if it's, if it's just light, wet, you know, surface, then we're going.
0: So if it's the Seattle drizzle, the the gray droplets, you're, you're good to go. Okay.
1: And with weather, they're always wrong. I can honestly tell you having been out there, (laughs) having been out to Pacific raceways for 30 years and answering the phone and people calling me on their way in saying, are you guys really going to be open today? And I'm like, it's dry here. Of course, we're going to be open, you know, or it could be the opposite. We could be raining and it's dry somewhere else. But I would say that at least 75% of the time, the weather is not correct or it's not as bad. It could be worse sometimes, but, you know, we, we have a plan B, we have Mm -hmm. a plan C, we have a plan D. We want our clients to have fun. We want them to learn. We want them to be safe.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: so we're going to base their experience on the conditions of the racetrack and um, making sure that they are going to, you know, drive away with a smile on their face. And Friday, I think, was an example. Uh, we just had an event on Friday, and a lot of people wanted to cancel uh, Thursday night because it was the first big rain. We haven't had rain for a few weeks. And I just said, go out. You've paid for the day. You know, we have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, you'll do different things. And I got home that night and my email was flooded. I mean, I had people that said that was, quote unquote, the best experience I've had in five years. I don't know why five years, but it was five years. Um, That was what he said, Um, because they are scared, but they, they, they show up. We ask them to just trust us and believe in the process and they drive away a better driver having had fun but a lot of them are always apprehensive when that forecast comes and watching them from when they show up to when they leave and then having the validation in my email or by phone about what fun they had. And they were so glad they, they actually did come out. Uh, So just getting them out on a rain day, but most people wake up disappointed when they see it's raining outside, but then they show up, they go through the program, they drive away and they say, That was the most
0: fun I've ever had in five years. (laughs) Five years. So that Friday event that you're referencing, was that for beginner drivers or was that an intermediate or advanced day?
2: That day was an intermediate to advanced day of just recreational sport driving. Okay. So Uh, these were
0: people who have gone through some...
2: Initial program,
0: Initial programs. And they were still apprehensive about the rain. Maybe that's where the five years came in. Maybe this person had been being, you know, a hobby racer for five years. And this is the first time they got to go out with the wet track. Maybe I don't know.
2: So you you walk into a room full of people, you know, for the morning meeting and you, and you immediately can feel the tension in the air. They're nervous and you go, you know what, here's the deal. Um, Nobody's going out on that racetrack right now. Nobody. We're going to, we're going to take some wet asphalt and we're going to have some fun and we're going to learn and we're going to develop some new skills and have some fun doing it. And then we'll see, then we'll see where we go from there. And there's just this big sigh of relief that they're not gonna have to do what they really don't wanna do and that's go out on a racetrack and 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 deal with the elements. So
1: we, Don mentioned the uh, asphalt. We have a skid pad, a big piece of asphalt that we can, um, when it's wet, you know, have a lot of drills. And some of the things they do on the skid pad is a power circle. And another exercise is a figure eight. And those are things with car control and learning oversteer and understeer. So when you feel the car do something, which is what we want, we want you to have an experience of failure and then opportunity to learn what to do when you feel that. And when you're on a wet skid pad, there's nothing to hit. And you can feel that you can have those experiences and save it. And you Mm -hmm. feel like such a champion because it's really hard. And once you get it, then you, when you feel that on the racetrack, you'll know what
0: to do. Gotcha. Okay. I have a question. This is going to be one of those, I'm warning you, this is an odd question. So Sorry. what I understand is that the, your program offers two ways of going about it. One, you you can provide the vehicle that the right. pers- person experiences in, or the the attendee can provide their own vehicle what's the oddest vehicle somebody's tried to bring to the track? I, cause I'm, I'm thinking like, if it were me, I'd like want to pull up in a pacer, just, you know, an old AMC pacer just cause it'd be kind of funny.
1: <laughs> we have, that's a really good question because we have actually had some very odd vehicles show up. So that is not that. Yeah. That's actually, we've had crazy cars. Um,
2: I think you know our teen program. I mean, we highly encourage mom and dad when the teens are going to come out and go through a clinic. Mm-hmm. We want them in whatever they spend most of their time driving. If that's right. an F one fifty pickup truck, then if it's a if it's a Dodge Caravan, then that's what we need. Whatever right. the whatever the parents have them in the car. So yeah, it's not uncommon to see a van out there in our teen program or a pickup truck. Okay. Um, So a little bit of everything.
0: Is there a cutoff though, where like, if I pulled up in my, I don't know, was it 73 Pacer, I guess maybe 1973, a Gremlin or something, you know, early seventies car. Is there, is there something from a, does the vehicle have to meet a certain criteria to go out?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, if something comes out there that's fairly early generation then we're going to give it a good once over. I mean, specifically, we're interested in, uh, in, you know, brakes, brakes are nice, uh, brake pads, uh, tires, obviously, two seat belts. open top vehicles require some form of rollover protection, either factory installed or aftermarket. Okay, But yeah, if something comes out there that hits our radar, then yeah, we're going to give it a pretty good look over before it's going to participate. But yeah. we highly encourage people, whatever, you know, whatever their daily drivers, especially the new car buyer, because the technical nature right now of the new car so far exceeds the knowledge and understanding of the buyer. So we mm-hmm. need to come out and learn about this thing, all of its active and passive safety systems, how they work, how you work with it, and at the same time have some fun in it, kind of putting it through its paces a little bit. Um
0: given given your market in in Seattle and in- I see a lot of Teslas on the road. Are you seeing Teslas show up at the track?
2: A bunch.
1: A bunch of Teslas.
0: And do they, is there anything noticeably different about a Tesla versus what are the cars that you guys provide? They're, those are, are or those a
2: Toyota toy- school, you know, yeah. okay. or a Toyota school. We've got a fleet of GR86s. Some people know them as FRS. Okay. But, but the the Tesla wonderful. Why? Because it's mid batteried You've heard of mid engined. Well, mm-hmm. it's mid batteryed, right? The balance of the car is magnificent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. You know, you can do everything in that car that you know not to do to make it handle, and it mm-hmm. still handles. So, can Promote.
1: I can I give you a little uh, Tesla story? That's kind of cute. Sure. So I handled the registration, and so I had um, a person register, and he wrote Tesla. But there were three participants and I went, OK, so you it's very common for two people to share one car and they'll both get the full experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was one person signing up for three people and they only listed one car, Tesla. So I called him up and I said, you know, it's you know not a problem to share the Tesla. You'll both have equal experiences. We have a supercharger uh, that you can use at lunchtime, 40, um, 15 minutes away. Um, You can supercharge and come back if you need to. And he says, no, um, you misunderstood. We all have Teslas. And it was three people, three Teslas. So one had a plaid, one had a Y, and one had a Model 3. And it was a family, a husband, a wife, and a son. And it was so cute because he just wrote Tesla. (laughs) <laughs> and all three of them had their own. So we probably have one or two Teslas out for every one day high performance uh, okay. driving day, each, every event, we at least have one. And then we may have one or two that are in our intermediate and advanced groups.
0: Okay. I was just curious, is that, you know, we see more and more and more of the electric vehicles on the road everywhere. And Don, in your opinion, have you you taken a a Tesla out and driven it with performance intent?
2: At anger, yes. Um, I I did, and I, multiple times, but the first time, I couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The overall handling characteristics of the car, you can't get it to understeer. Uh, You do everything you know not to do, and like I said, it's, you know, so they're wonderful. They're wonderful, and the torque is amazing. Um, you know, of course, with electric, you know, I mean, it it comes off the turns really quick. Okay. Biggest challenge we face with the electric vehicles and what we do is you're standing there and all of a sudden there's a car. How do you get there? Because you don't, and and, and that's why I will always warn the guys, you know, don't turn your back on a vehicle because it's moving and you don't hear it moving, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And they move very quickly off the right. line. Yep. Okay.
0: So. Next thing I'd want to kind of cover because I think this is a really wonderful point. So in ninety seven you founded Team Seattle as a as a way to fundraise for children's hospital. Right. You've been pretty successful at that.
1: We're really proud of that. Yes.
0: You've been you guys have according to your website, oh, six million dollars to children's hospital right now. That's pretty amazing.
2: Closer to nine, actually. I uh,
1: think we well, need to update our website. We have, yeah, wasn't going to say or, anything. Yeah.
0: Wasn't going to
2: say. Yeah. So
0: closer to nine million dollars right. raised for Children's Hospital. Right. Thank you for doing that. I mean, that's just that's just awesome. What? Why? Why did you start this? What was the? What was the? Because you could have started a charitable thing for many many things, but so why Children's? What was the inspiration there? Yeah
2: well i mean we're lucky to have had a a healthy child um you know and uh, others others haven't been um and we're we're, you know we're sensitive to that um you know the driving community in the puget sound area the racing community and for whatever reason has kind of taken seattle children's hospital under their wing don and i've always kind of tried to link our racing to some form of charity, but this one was certainly the most meaningful. Uh, we met a heart patient along the way, Cami um, Sutton, who's been a big part of Team Seattle Guild since its conception. And we took a look at that situation um, and said, you know what, here's a facility that, you know, that has the best equipment, the best people, but to fund that facility, they need help. And we've just always believed that, you know, the promotion and, you know, awareness that motor racing brings, there there could should be a dollar sign attached to that for some worthy cause. And for us, it was kids. Okay. Because, you know, like I said, we were lucky enough to have Sienna who was healthy and happy, and but others aren't. And you spend some time in that hospital and you look at those patient rooms, you see moms and dads who are just shell-shocked, shell-shocked in the situation they find themselves in. Mm-hmm. And all I can hope is that somebody's out there with some kind of promotion that helps bring the dollars to the table and get them out of the situation they're in.
1: And so many kids have been touched by Seattle Children's. When I was teaching um, our first year of uh, actually racing at Daytona and raising money, I just asked my students, I said, how many of you, you know, do you know someone that's ever been to Seattle Children's? And I was surprised at how many hands went up then my second question was how many of you have been to seattle children's and just as many hands stayed up and Mm -hmm. that made me realize that i mean you don't have to have a serious illness but if you did you're at the right place but things from tonsils to that midnight you know someone has bad you know fever and it's not breaking and how many people use it as a resource and as a teacher back then i realized um this is a community resource that we're very lucky to have and so many people before us have believed in the cause and that's why we were where we were now because of people's efforts so we wanted to you know pay it forward
0: so at the time that we're recording this it's may of 2023 what what's on the horizon for for team seattle are you is there another race coming up this year what's what's kind of the the horizon look like
2: well, there's there's uh, a number of ways the the team generates money for for Children's Hospital. One, which is our upcoming June 23rd uh, go kart race at Pacific Grand Prix uh, out of Pacific Raceways. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that thing generated $125,000 last year in one Friday evening. Wow. 25 carts, four drivers per cart. The race is two hours long. Every driver drives 30 minutes, and every cart is a fundraising center for Seattle Children's Hospital. I think our cart last year had ten or $15,000 in donations on it, $125,000 that cart race brought in. And wow. you can't think of a better way to spend a Friday evening. There's a little bit of pizza involved in mm-hmm. the thing when it's all said and done. So, you know, but right now the team is racing under the name The Heart of Racing yep. uh, because all of the money that we're generating goes to the heart center at Seattle Children's. Um, the Heart Racing right now is headed to Monterey this weekend, um, racing to Aston Martins. Um, and there's a fair amount of money that comes from the team that goes annually to the hospital. So the next outing for the Guild is the Heart Racing effort at Laguna Seca. It's a weekend this weekend.
1: And you, Don, you had mentioned the karting. Um, we've been doing the karting event now for 13 years. And that came about because we are endurance racers. So when Don raced the 24 hours of Daytona or the 24 hours of Le Mans in France or the 12 hours in Sebring, he does it with a group of drivers. And it's usually three to four drivers. And they they have different stints. So they'll be in the car one to two hours. And then we'll have a driver change. And then another driver will you know drive his stint. And then we just rotate all day and all night long. And so we thought about it and we thought we have so many spectators and we have so many fans watching us do this. How can they do this? And that's how the karting event came about, because a lot of our um, supporters live in Seattle and we have a karting facility out at Pacific Raceways. And this way we could do an endurance karting race. So the endurance karting race is two hours four drivers and each driver drives a half hour and then they generate a little fundraising page like a, you know, a mighty cause page where people can make pledges. And we just thought we'll we'll just do this one year just for fun, you know, for our, you know, and it was so much fun. That was 13 years ago or 13 years. And now we're still doing it. We're getting bigger and better and we've raised a lot of money and it's a ton of fun. So we're always just trying to pull people into racing because. Don always says if everyone just, you know, just had this experience one time, the world would be a different place because it teaches you patience. It teaches you, you know, how to be humble, but it also teaches you how to get along with others, how to follow rules, how to play nice with others. I mean, there's just so many lessons that racing teaches you that um, it's transferable to your, you know, daily life.
0: So you said Austin Martins, I kind of flashed to like, I'm envisioning a James Bond car. Uh, it's just <laughs> yeah. kind of where my, I, I wasn't, and I'm not a car person, but I wasn't aware that Austin uh, Martins were used as race cars. Maybe that's just a really naive statement, but tell me a little bit about the car. Cause I'm just in, inherently curious now.
2: Well, the, the Astons that are racing currently in IMSA are purpose built, but they're, they're Based on a production car platform, right? Okay. I mean, it looks somewhat like the street car, right? right? But obviously, they're you know a purpose-built race car. Um, it's sports car racing, mm-hmm. right? Um, they're highly they're highly developed, but at a glance, you could somewhat see uh, the the street uh, the street car there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that race at Sunday sell at Monday concept is so prevalent in sports car racing. Right now, so people can identify with the car. It's an Aston Martin. It's a Montage, right? Okay. All right. But it's, but but you never see the car on the street, right?
0: Is it is it a, would it be? It wouldn't be a street legal vehicle though, would it? No. Could it, Okay, so it's never should go on the street.
2: No, right? no, they they never go on the street. But then when you talk true purpose built, of course, obviously Aston Martin is very involved in Formula One. Mm, okay. It's very involved in Formula One. That's a pure purpose belt formula car okay so no aston and aston's always been in motor racing
0: i i mean i think of things like you know ferrari yeah
2: yeah
0: and you know i think and, you know once again not my not my expertise so i'm happy to admit my but you're getting uh, there <laughs> yeah but you know ferrari should be as you said earlier before we hit record ferrari should be red um yeah. So I'm I, I'm on your website, and you, I'm gonna I got a question you on something because I found an inaccuracy because you, you correct me. I said six million, you said nine. So right. I got I got to fact check a couple things with you now. Favorite road car? What was your response?
2: Porsche. Oh, no, I, I I was no. gonna say anything. Well, any, any 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 car that's given me to drive. Yeah. Free, any free car that's given me to drive. Yeah,
0: one that's paid for. So that still holds true. Still. Paid off. We're good to go. All right. But your, your favorite race car is a Porsche 911 GT3.
2: Correct. Yes, that is correct.
0: correct. Why is that?
2: Oh, you know, I, I just think Porsche is a factory that um, they just never get it wrong. I've never seen them make a mistake. Oh, I've seen them make one, maybe two mistakes in my entire time with them, but mm-hmm. they just, they just seem to always be able to get it right. And um, I'm comfortable in the car. I can drive it fairly efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had successes in the car. So Good. as a result, it's my favorite, my favorite car. Um, yeah. I think most of my career on a racetrack was in a Porsche. So it's my favorite.
0: Bucket list car that you've never been able to drive. What would it be?
2: That I've never been able to drive?
0: hmm Is there anything out there that you haven't?
2: Uh.
1: You know, you you've been
2: what, lucky. You've driven you a lot of cars. I've been really lucky, There have been some people who have trusted me with their cars. So I I'm I'm very, very lucky to have driven just about you name it, I've pretty much driven it, uh, yeah. other than you know, certainly like a Formula One car, or whatever. Um boy, so uh, that just that question just triggers how lucky I've been. Okay. Would you want to
0: try a Formula One car just for, you know, if you take it out for fun? I mean, not that that would be, I mean.
2: I don't know how much fun that would be. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: As, as soon as I said that, I realized, but... You know,
2: I mean, I mentioned to Donna yesterday, the average person could not even launch that car without it swapping ends. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something you have to work. By the time you're in an F1 car, you worked your way, you know, through, um the lower formula but yeah certainly if i felt like i was qualified i would like to drive one because there's nothing like a purpose-built race car it does what you tell it to do the problem is it doesn't know the difference between right and wrong it just knows this is what you've told it to do and i'm doing it and i'm doing it right now they're real precision right yeah. all right
0: so this is a negative question
2: okay here we go
0: what's an overrated car in your opinion might be really popular. You know, everyone talks about it, but for you, in your personal opinion, is there a car out there that you just don't quite see why it got the level of notoriety?
2: I got to be politically correct. I know.
0: I know. I know. That's why I kind of, I understand.
2: You know, uh, we're we're kind of, whatever car we are, you know, conducting or facilitating a program, that's the best car ever. Sure. I, not knowing which car that's going to be next week. I got to be really careful about what I say here, but uh, I'm going to,
0: let me rephrase it. And, and for you, like you, you've, you've driven a car and let's just say arbitrarily, let's just say it's a, it's a Porsche 911. Cause you just said you love them. And, but let's say you got behind the wheel of one and you went, yeah, this just doesn't feel right for me. I'm not asking. So like, is there a car out there that everyone's talked about that they go and, you know, could be a Ford F 150 pickup truck. I'm not, asking you to be disparaging i'm asking is you for you as a driver you're like yeah nice car just not for me gosh boy
2: don't
1: uh, cars i
2: know but i mean
1: i'm just trying to think um i've never really heard you get that's... out of a car i mean of course well, okay. capabilities and characteristics but you learned I think because in racing, you have to race what you have. So you adapt to the car. Okay. And so you're always like, there's probably, there's near perfect cars, but there's always something.
2: I think if you get in the car with the right expectation mm-hmm. of what it's going to do and what it can't do, then you, you mold yourself to it and don't expect something it can't do. Right. Um
0: but doesn't that come from being a highly skilled, well-trained professional of the craft?
2: Yeah, without a doubt, I was okay. never a real big car guy. I, I never really I didn't really like the big sedans. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't like the ergonomics of them. I didn't like your your position, your seating position in them. they they, they were just big pigs. But but they've transitioned a, a lot. I mean, if you look at the, you know, the, the American muscle car, what they've become now. Mm-hmm. I mean, a Porsche Cayman or a, a, you know, some of the GM cars, some of the, the Camaro in the right hands. I mean, they can run circles around a 911. Really, uh, the the development has been incredible. So early on for me, I wasn't really a big Mustang big Camaro ground pounder kind of guy. Okay, Boy, they've certainly become sophisticated instruments now, but now you you get in and you don't ask the thing to do something, you know, it's not going to do. And then you don't become frustrated. You okay. get it. You just know, this is not going to do this. So don't bother asking. And If you ask it to do it, it's going to struggle trying to do it. And then you're going to get, you're going to struggle.
0: So of the new generation of American muscle cars, the Camaro, the Challenger, the Charger.
2: Don't forget the Corvette.
0: I was gonna separate that one out into its own little <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: that's
2: amazing. Um,
0: ha- have you driven the new the new Dodges?
2: Uh, a bit. I- I'm not a big Dodge guy. Uh, but that's a big car compared yeah, to it's okay. Car. It's real nose heavy. Um, I'm not. You know, I mean, they're. You know, they're get it pointed straight, come to throttle, and whoa, we're going somewhere. I guess. You know. They're not what I consider to be really, really sophisticated in the turns. Okay. But but they are they're very they're very exciting straight line.
0: Okay, so there you go. There's so that's just not your flavor of of ice cream.
2: Not my flavor. I'm sure they're wonderful. Right. Okay. And I'm gonna say that before somebody calls and says no. don't you on this podcast.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not that. But see, that's the thing. You that's not your style. That's that that's not a car for your style. All right. I did
2: not know how to drive that car.
0: So you mentioned a Corvette.
2: Yep.
0: What do you think of these new Corvette? I, I saw one, I didn't even recognize, I was like, what was that?
2: I think they're absolutely wonderful. I think the Corvette program, uh, race-wise, mm-hmm. worldwide Corvette, GM, the GM Corvette program, they've learned so much in their racing program that have transferred to their street car, that race at Sunday, solid Monday, race at Sunday, development Monday. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing piece of equipment. The technology is amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're handling, And I think the car from a price point are absolutely amazing. Um, Somebody gave me a chance to drive one at Daytona one time, Mm -hmm. uh, just on the track, his street car. He had just gotten it. And and, uh, Donna and Sienna were with me. And so Sienna wanted to go for a ride. And I thought, you know, wonderful piece of car, just got it. And uh, but I thought a wonderful opportunity to, to take it for right because he wanted to hear it at full song up on the banking uh, at Daytona. So about two weeks later, because the car just kept tempting me, tempting me and tempting me and tempting me to go faster and faster and faster. About two weeks later, Don and I were sitting here in the office, and I could hear something on her on her uh, screen here. And 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 I, what's she looking at? What's she looking at? And he had sent her video. Of Sienna and I riding in this car, and it just kept luring us to go faster and faster and faster. And we're looking at the needles going up and up and up. It's just really done with our daughter, no helmets, the back straight to Daytona, 140 miles an hour, really. But it just—it was it wasn't my fault. It just told me to do it. it wasn't my
0: fault. <laughs> and
2: it did it so so easily. It's just a wonderful piece of equipment, and such confidence just pours off of it.
0: They're a very interesting-looking vehicles. Yeah,
2: they look so cool. Yeah. They always have. Have you ever seen a bad-looking Corvette?
0: This was a few years that I wasn't a big fan of, um, and some haven't aged well. How's that? <laughs> like the early '80s Corvettes don't look particularly
2: yeah, nostalgic maybe. to yeah. me. Maybe, 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 maybe. But the new ones are just. Oh, the
0: new ones are amazing, and you know the old, the old, old '50s ones are like when you see somebody lucky enough to be driving a '50s Corvette on the road, you're like.
2: Yeah. The year in Daytona that we had Dale Earnhardt with us when he and Lily were in the Corvette, that was, that was a very special 24. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful, beautiful car.
0: So there was a book that I think anybody that knows you knows that there's, was referencing the art of racing in the rain. What don't we know about that? Is there anything about that story we don't know? How did it come about? What's your, what, you know, I'm reading the book right
2: now. Well, well you're reading it now.
0: I'm reading it now. It's an enjoyable book.
2: Did it make you I, cry yet?
0: Has it made me cry yet? Getting close. I can tell. I can tell it well, will. Yeah, you're Donna's, Donna told me to watch the movie. And so I didn't listen to her. I decided to read the book. Good. Um,
1: but definitely watch the movie. No, I will. I will. There- I, we had some liberties to be able to do some extra things in the movie that are not in the book that actually, I mean, I think really it added. Usually, you know, when they change the story a little bit, you know, dedicated readers are not happy. But I actually think the changes that were made
2: in the movie were good. Okay. The 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 title of the book is based on a paper that, that we wrote 20, 25 years ago. Mental and Dis- mental and physical disciplines for driver to become proficient. Racing in the rain. And the title of the paper was The Art of Racing in the Rain. We use it as a handout in our competition school mm-hmm. when we come to the section on proficient driving a car on the racetrack in the rain. And uh, title of the paper, The Art of Racing in the Rain, Garth Stein, the author of the book, comes to the school, job shadows for a couple of years, promptly announces he's going to write a book, of uh, titling it The Art of Racing in the Rain, sends us a manuscript. We, you know, browse through it really quick, give him the green light, and away he goes. Um, portions of it are true. Um, you know, a lot of it is about our family. A lot of it is about, you know, obviously the dog on the the book is was one of our early generation Goldens. Mm-hmm. Um, true story. A good portion of it is a true story. Um... And, uh, you know, it, it, it's not really about racing. It's about life and challenges and injustice and justice in the end. Mm-hmm. Sad in the middle, yes, but everybody gets what they want in the end. Mm-hmm. Everybody wins in the end, especially Enzo, right? Because Enzo got to be what he wanted to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for a guy that did not earn his living in motor racing, I thought Garth did a wonderful job of writing the end of the book um it ended quite beautifully Dempsey Patrick Dempsey who we were spending some time with in those days bought the rights to the book mm-hmm. um and then you know produced a movie the movie so the paper came first then the book then the movie okay
1: it took like 20 years it seemed like it took like 20 years from book well from story to book to movie and during that time I would say at least five different studios tried to make it into a movie mm-hmm. um, and they would contact us and want to embed themselves in our racing team when we would go to different races like Daytona or Laguna Seca in California or Sebring. So we would have a you know a director or producer uh, with us for a weekend and then we wouldn't hear from them. And then like two years later, another studio would call Uh, because the story had been sold to a new studio and then we'd start the process all over again and they would embed themselves and so this went on for like 10 years and finally this studio called and they said we're going to you know after five times we were like you know so they called and we were a little (laughs) we were a little jaded and said sure you know and they wanted these things they wanted to go to this race and do this and do that and You know, of course, we, you know, we did, we did interact with them, but we just thought, you know, this is never going to happen because for some reason it just kept going from studio to studio to studio, which apparently is very common, uh, but not being in that world. We didn't know that. And finally they called and they said, we'd like to rent the track. And we're like, why? And they said, well, we want to make the movie at the facility of where the story takes place. So they rented the track for three days and we uh, was in the summer and it was like 18 hour days. And we, they worked from sunrise to sunset and they actually made the, the, the you know, the story, uh, brought the story to the big screen. But it was a real surprise to us because after five times of getting our hopes up and then being disappointed, we just thought that would happen again. And uh, then it became very real when they rented the racetrack.
2: We had, Don and I had a pro- private showing, and uh, which was really good because when they hit the lights and the movie was over, we were blubbering blobs of tears. We, were,
1: we were not ready. It
2: was just nice to have some quiet time to ourselves to kind of um, think about what we had just seen because so much of it was about us and our family and, you know, so. Our dog. And- a wonderful, wonderful experience. We learned a lot about what it takes to get a book to the big screen. A lot of Mm -hmm. politics involved in it, Um, but, yeah, wonderful experience.
1: I think it was also hard for Garth to see the movie. Um, You know, you write something and then you see it and you have, you know, I think, you know, having spent time with him, you know, then the second and third showings, uh, we were with him. And, you know, I think he was like us. You're just not prepared. Uh, You know, for us, it was emotional. For him, I think it was more, you know, he had a vision in his head and it was just, you know, it's just, it's different. It's really, it's kind of an interesting experience. And I'm really glad we had the opportunity to see it ourselves first because we were, it was so, so much of it was so personal that we were able to have our emotions just the two of us, (laughs) they turned the lights on. We're like, keep the lights off, please. Um, But uh, so we were really glad because then the second time we saw it was with 400 of our invited friends in Seattle that we invited. And we were much more prepared of how to deal with, you know, seeing it on the big screen.
0: When was the last time you watched it?
2: Oh, um, I've seen it for a while. we keep thinking we're we keep thinking it's just a matter of time. I don't think we've seen it for a year or so. Just but honest. I can
1: tell you all the quotes in there I hear every day.
2: Okay. All, right. <laughs> it's
1: all the quotes from Enzo and about racing are Dawn. And so he's, you know, we I refer to them as Dawnisms because he just has some things he says that are just they're just so iconic. They're so Dawn. and they're in the book. Garth did a really good job when he was, you know, at the race school, listening and taking notes and tape recording. He put a lot of those things in the story. So even though I haven't seen the movie or read the book recently, I get to hear a lot of the things a lot. And that makes me really
2: happy. All of that stuff is true. You know, the dog riding in the truck, Garth didn't believe that one day. He said the dog doesn't lean into the turns. He doesn't like to go out on the racetrack. I said, "You really, Garth, get in the truck." So Garth got up in the passenger seat of the truck, and and Enzo, Enzo of those days, she sat there and looked at him. And I said, "Garth, you're in his seat. You need to get in the back seat. The dog rides in the front seat." So, <laughs> yeah. So all of that's true. I mean, that that dog loved to go out on the racetrack, and he would literally lean into the turns to balance himself. He yeah. was
1: he was a racer he dog. He was a
2: racer dog. He
1: his name actually was Auto A U T O, but mm-hmm. so many people when they hear the word Auto, like in up for our business, it makes sense A U T O, mm-hmm. but for ninety five percent of the world, Auto would be O T T O. So, um, Garth used Enzo, which um, is in reference to uh, Enzo Ferrari. So. I have okay, a first- now, and now we have an Enzo. This is a third or fourth generation dog. So we finally uh we finally our daughter said, "You know, we've had all car names for our dogs. We need to name this one Enzo." So uh we have Enzo and he is a great dog.
2: Yeah, we've always had dogs linked to the school. If yeah. you follow the, the the history of the school, you'll always see dogs in the group photos and stuff like that.
0: Lexi commented that she was greeted by the dog.
2: Was no. She... Yeah. I mean, she, <laughs> obviously she is a dog lover because she, you know, yeah. uh, we were quite anxious to meet her and, and and greet her and boy, she needed her dog time first.
0: Yeah. It was, she was, she says he was great. <laughs> she was really, okay. she was really, really excited. I have a, I have a friend who has a, a Bernese mountain dog named Otto. And yeah. uh, he went so far as to buy a Jeep Grand Wagoneer. To,
1: I, don't see, I don't see anything wrong with that that's, uh, that's, yeah. to, to
0: carry on uh, and, and and the um he calls it the auto wagon um, and, yeah i so know auto is a auto and and he has a another burner named fritz who i have fritz's brother sleeping over here he's been remarkably quiet this entire time um they're a year old now and
1: yeah i think dogs being at a racetrack people come in pretty amped up or pretty scared and just seeing the two dogs. Now we have a second one because, because we do. And her name is Lola. Uh, there's a story between after her name, Lola, Lola chassis, racing chassis, but Lola and Enzo people come in, they drive up and the minute they see them and the dogs want to be petted and loved and hugged, it really breaks the ice. And I, I feel like they're really good therapy dogs for just letting people know that, uh, this is a good place.
0: So, how did you how did you acclimate them to the track? I mean, did they take take to the?
2: <laughs> oh. Wasn't a problem. Wasn't a problem. Especially yeah. Otto, the
1: first dog. Oh my gosh, Otto was a race dog, and, and we say that because he, when Don would turn the truck on, we have a, a school vehicle that is a, a Toyota Tundra. Okay. I mean, the minute he hears that car start, he's already at the door, ready to go in the car that the all dawn has to do is on any of our dogs open up you know the door they jump in and they can't wait to go um they
2: love it there and, and they get lots of attention and uh, they get lots of attention and, and treats and you know some of our clients just they come strictly to see them so now they're uh, they're fine their noise doesn't bother them obviously when we're active they they're on their chains they're never they're never loose right but uh, they get to go for their morning walk and Otto, When we would first get there in the morning, we had our routine down because I would open the gate to the track truck. And that's when he would get out and he'd stand by the truck and I'd race the motor that rev the motor up. And he, and, and then he and I would race into it every morning. Really? Every, oh, every morning. He'd love to race that truck.
1: He was the only one. He's the only <laughs> one.
2: And sometimes, sometimes he would, you know, cut a red light. He'd, he'd shoot ahead too early. And I, shake my head and then he come back walking back. <laughs> great fun. Great memories of the dogs.
0: That's wonderful. All right. As we w- wrap this up, I got a couple more things. I know we're leaving out a bunch, which is the nature of the show, which we'll make sure people know where to go to find out more, but let's, I got to ask about this. Cause this sounds kind of cool. Track, taxi, thrill ride.
2: Um, we don't uh, allow uh, students uh, giving rides out there. It's just. My own industry standards and sure. insurance, and all that. So, if somebody feels the need to experience the racetrack, um, a, a unique life's experience, then we have the track taxi and, and we we'll, we give them we'll give them two or three laps. So, yeah.
0: What what currently? What type of car is it? That's the is are is there a specific car for this right now?
2: Well, we've had a lot of track taxis. BMW track taxis, uh, M3s were mm-hmm. the weapon of choice for a number of years. We're kind of in between taxis right now. We're waiting for Toyota wants us to have one of the new Supras, one of the okay. GR su- Supras. So that'll probably be the next track taxi, but tough to get right now. Tough to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now we just use one of the FRSs. Um, yeah. Uh, to uh, one of the GR86s to give people rides, anything will do. Um, but you know, certainly, uh, certainly the M3s and the and the Supra. You know,
0: walk me through what would one expect if they signed up to go on this ride? You said three laps around the track. How fast are we going? What are you going to do?
2: Well, we kind of watch. You know. Um, you know how comfortable people are sure hand signals, you know, right. this means I'm having fun. This means I'm not having fun because you don't want somebody stuck there uncomfortable. Right. So
0: this you means faster. This <laughs> means faster.
2: There you go. Okay. Um, but if they're comfortable, um, you know, if they're comfortable, we will, you know, see speed certainly in an inaccessible of hundred miles an hour on the front straightaway, but it's in the turns that is their experience. Right. Watching watching the car navigate the turns, but giving rides is a lot of responsibility, right? So you're just always leaving a lot on the table everywhere, right? So that they have a unique thrilling experience, but they're safe.
1: And a couple things about um, the thrill ride is they're actually for most of them they've never sat in a purpose-built race seat with harnesses. So it's right. not just like a regular car seat with a seatbelt, but it's a five-point harness. Right. You know, so now they're sitting in a very tight race seat. They've got a very special seat belt that's called a five-point harness. They've got a helmet on, which for a lot oh. of people that's a very oh. foreign, you know, feeling of having something kind of claustrophobic. And the uh the race sedans are equipped to go racing. So they have a roll cage so they're not like there's no back seat so you you know it's a different type of vehicle and so it's it's really exciting for them because they sit down and they go for a high speed thrill ride in a car that's used for racing and usually they get out they can't stop laughing (laughs) because it it, i mean like they're relieved they're i mean like just a you know, a wave of emotions. You don't even know where you're at. You know, that was fun. That was scary. That was thrilling. I want to do it. Oh my God, I'm still alive. So it is a lot of fun.
0: So how many people, after they go on one of these, sign up to to take a class? I mean, does that inspire people?
1: It really does. I,
0: I, I was gonna say to me, it seems like that would be like a uh like the free samples at Costco. Here, come yes. try this.
2: <laughs> yeah, like taking the puppy to the petting room and then hand it back to the if You're not gonna do that. Yeah. One of the challenges, one of the challenges we have when you start hearing of these speeds of 125, 130, 140 miles an hour, we have a tendency to kind of try to equate that to driving our street car on the 405. It's not the same. You're no. you're trapped in there so tight. You've got so much rubber on the ground. Mm-hmm. The car is so rock solid, and everybody's going in the same direction. So there's really no. And the cars get up to those speeds so fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's really no equation between our street car and and a true race car.
0: Well, one of the things that you guys have, you guys emphasize a lot is you offer a lot of, you know, driver training stuff. It's not just necessarily racing. It's becoming a confident, competent driver. Even though, you know, you're called performance racing school, there's more, like to me, it's a completely different thing. You're you're teaching teens how to drive. You're you're teaching people how to become. Oh, be aware of what they're what they're doing with the wheel. Um, and I think that's something that will reference Alexia again. That's I think she that was her big takeaway. Yeah, she had fun. She went fast. She thought it was great fun. But she, she the thing that that came out of her mouth when I talked to her afterwards was. Like I learned how to be, not that she learned, not like it's a completed process, but she learned how to be a, dr- a better driver. That's the thing I think that I find really intriguing. Because how many of your people, I guess, two-part two question. So you have a lot of teens come out here. First off, I think that's awesome that you're doing that. Number two, though, you do teach people how to become race car drivers. But how many of your, percentage-wise, of your, of your attendees are actually racing?
2: Well, you know, I would say less than 20% of the people who sport drive, mm-hmm. and that's the term, sport, recreational driving, okay. actually go racing. I mean, there is a path from recreational sport driving on into competition. But, you know, we tell everybody every day, don't for one minute think that in this recreation of sport, high-performance driving, we're not making better street drivers out there. They're mm-hmm. using the most elevated levels of concentration, the most advanced vision skills. And they're learning about their car and having fun doing it.
0: Right. I think that's, that's amazing.
1: You mentioned teens Um, in 2020, um, our daughter being one 2020, uh, she was hit with the COVID closure. So she was a senior in high school. Okay. And so as a senior in high school, she missed her 18th birthday. She missed her prom. She missed her graduation. Um, She was, you know, that, that group of kids and, Proformance was closed for three months during that time. And when we reopened, our parents, our clients that had kids of graduation, either high school or college, um, you know, they were unable to send them to Disneyland or Mexico or wherever, Hawaii. So that year of 2020 in June, we got this influx (laughs) of of 18-year-olds and 21-year-olds whose parents are our client's. But they sent their kids because they were unable to do anything for graduation. So that summer was the summer of youth, which is very unusual because this is an expensive sport. And our daughter's generation, they're not necessarily really into cars and getting their license at 16 or 18 like we were when we were 16 and 18. And we had a lot of reluctant teens show up in 2020 that didn't want to be there. But after they showed up, they did something that was magical. They did something called social media. And that summer, after they took the one day school, they went out on their social media and told all their friends about their experience. And 2020, 2021, 22 has been an explosion of youth driving with us, which was unusual before COVID because they, they had other sports and this is an expensive sport. And the reason I bring that up is you mentioned teen drivers. We have a segment of our drivers that are under 18 that are racing. We just, we just licensed two. well, we've licensed many uh, drivers under 18 to go racing, but we just licensed two 15 year old girls for like racing licenses that are actually going into amateur racing. So um, we do offer from, like you said, from teens learning basic uh you know, street survival skills all the way to amateur racing, all the way to professional racing. So you can start in one place and end up in another. And a lot of times that happens. But teens have been a huge part of our of our business in the last few years.
0: I always think it's funny, you know, to be licensed to in Washington State, you gotta be 16 to drive a car, but yet you can be licensed to race younger than that. That's Interesting to me. Uh, One last question about the track or about the, about your school. So you've licensed 15 year olds. Who's the oldest driver that's competing out there? Is there anybody? What's the, what's the age of the.
1: We're both smiling. Uh, We have an amazing client. I think he's 84. He drives with us at least two or three times a month and he drives to make sure i think this is correct a gt2 club sport porsche is that right john correct and he's the fastest person on our track he has been driving with us for 25 years maybe mm-hmm. um but he also was a motorcycle racer prior to his time with us so he was a racer but he is 84 years old and what keeps him young And healthy and active and mentally and physically alert is he drives with us two or three times a month. It is, it is, it's why he, you know, it's essential for him.
2: Um, He's a real special, very special guy. Uh, Loves the dog. The dogs love him, mainly because he always has a little treat for him in his driver's suit pocket. (laughs) <laughs> but just uh, we love Jerry. I mean, he's just got such uh, zest for life. Uh, he showed me a picture of him a little while ago of him on the on on his race bike on a motorcycle, dragging one knee. Uh, that was really cool.
0: At eighty
2: yeah. four, he's well. Sure right? he has, no, he has raced since he was sixty five. <laughs> oh, he's got this bike laid down just like this with one knee on the ground at sixty five years of age. But he
1: is actually, anytime he shows up now, I know he has a fast car, but he is, and he, he is the fastest person out there on most days that we're active. And uh, we're, we, we love having him out there. So yeah, 84 years old. Okay. So so 15 all the way to 84.
0: So, you know, seven decades. (laughs) When you say he's the fastest out there, what's he completing a lap in? How long is it? What's it take to do a lap?
2: Well, uh, I think I mean the fastest thing I've ever seen get around that racetrack is uh, you know maybe a minute sixteen, but mm-hmm. uh, Jerry's uh, about one twenty six, one twenty seven in that car, um, and mm. that's moving right along. A sixteen is a purpose built sports racing car with a lot of downforce on slicks. Um, so that's you're yeah, moving right along.
0: That's moving very, very, very quickly. Okay. So now, now comes the stock questions I ask everybody. Number one, what didn't we ask you that we should have?
2: Boy, I think we, I think we covered it all. I mean, I think we gave everyone a good idea of, you know, the broad spectrum of of our curriculum.
0: Okay. Number two,
1: I've got one. Um, If you're listening to this and you're thinking, I can't do this, or this this is something that scares me. On any given day, either in person or on the computer, someone will say to me, why did I wait so long? This was so much fun. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I've always wanted to do this, or I'm never going to do this, allow yourself to try something new. You will be shocked, surprised at The experience from how you start like Lexi to being probably scared, overwhelmed, not sure what you've signed up for, to driving away, empowered, a proactive, better driver. And if you never come back to us, you will know you did it. And that's empowering. Um, Trying something new that's a little scary um, outside of your comfort zone, it, it gives you rewards in other places in your life of something that's hard that you're experiencing, you kind of can draw on this experience and say, if I can do that with performance, I can solve this, or I have some skills maybe that I didn't have before that I can take this, break it down and actually get through it.
0: Okay. Next next question. This I asked this question of every single guest, where's a good place to get coffee? In your case, near the track.
1: Oh, near the track.
2: Oh, that's tough. Well, I have my coffee brought to me, see, so I can't, you know, I really can't. I don't know where the coffee comes from. All I know, it is very good. And the best part of it is delivered by a beautiful blonde. So I really can't, you know. <laughs>
0: that's probably the best answer ever. Right? I, I,
2: thought so. I thought so. All right.
0: Uh,
1: we love we love coffee. That's for sure.
0: All right. When you're not at the track, what do you guys like to do for fun?
2: We love to travel. We, we we love we love to travel, and we spend money and time we don't have trying to see as much of the world as we can, and that we love doing. Our and,
1: honeymoon uh, thirty some years ago. Um, our honeymoon we went to Spa, which is a racetrack in Belgium. Um, They have a a F1 race there. So that was our first F1 race together on our honeymoon 31 years ago. And when we were sitting there, we said to ourselves, you know, this is pretty cool. We're pretty poor, but we're, uh, we're, could you grab that? Sorry, we apologize for the, the phone. We thought we had unplugged it. But we had made this pact to ourselves that uh, we wanted to go to every F1 race that we could go to. We didn't have to necessarily see the F1 race, but we wanted to go to every country that an F1 race happened to be at. And lucky for us, F1 keeps adding new races. So that gives us more places that we uh, get to go to. But uh, last last year we went to Singapore and Mm -hmm. uh, Singapore has the F1 night race. And we were able to walk that circuit many times, and uh, really enjoy that—not not during the F1 race, but just being being there. So we love to travel. We love going to race tracks. Uh, we love being able to see where F1 races or where IndyCar races or. I mean, we're John races, you know, we've been lucky, you know, to see a lot of the world because of his racing. So we, if we're not working at the racetrack, we are traveling um, and we just love it.
0: My last question. Very important. Both have to answer the question. There are no wrong answers, but I do expect an explanation. Cake or pie and why?
1: Can I say both? <laughs> That's the first thing that I thought, and everyone's like, "Why?" and and dessert first. That 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 works no, for
0: me. No, I'm the sorry. Time. We're gonna. It's cake. Cake or pie? Or
1: cake.
2: pie. Cake. cake. Why? Why? Well, because it just tastes better. I mean, there's no such thing as a carrot cake pie. There's carrot cake cake. It has to be carrot cake.
0: So you so, like carrot carrot cake?
2: Carrot is your cake.
0: Is, is your choice? Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: There's no wrong answer here. Well, there yeah. is one for me. There's one wrong answer, but that's that wasn't no. it. So
1: it's it was probably rhubarb, but <laughs> oh,
0: I actually like rhubarb. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah you like rhubarb too, yeah. don't you, Don? I would say cake because uh you've got the cake and then you've got so my I always have stories, right? So my daughter would always eat the frosting and I would always eat the cake. So it was a perfect match. Okay.
0: We will so actually there's one last thing where can people find you out online? They want to know more about the school. They want to know more about you. Where's, where do you want them to go? Where's a good place?
1: Uh, Proformance racing school, just like the business name. Uh, I know it's long, but it's worth spelling out. Uh, it's P R O F O R M A N C E Proformance racing school.com. Uh, that's where you can find us. Um, our racetrack is at Pacific raceways in Kent, Washington um really want you to think about you know if you are listening to this you can do this um i did this 30 what 5 years ago my first driving day and uh, i keep going back so we have a lot of people out there that are the same and for them i mean it's their happy place and i think that if you give it a try you you will you'll definitely drive away with a smile on your face proformance racing school .com Thanks for the time,
0: Thank young you man. Thank you for
2: the time. Young man. There we <laughs> are.
0: Huh? Yeah. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no.
2: <laughs> Thank
0: you both so much. This was a lot of fun.
2: That was fun. Hope you
0: enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at Explore State. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at ExploreWashingtonState.com. If you know anyone who'd like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. Glad you were here with me today. And I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.